that though our sins are many, your mercy is more. May that be something that steadies us and grounds us and give us hope as we celebrate together tonight. You're good, far better than we deserve. Thank you so much for being with us. We love you, amen. You guys can take a seat. Good evening again. My name is Scott Jones. I'm the student team leader here at Fellowship Mosaic. I get to hang out with our sixth through 12th graders and they are a wonderful bunch. And I just really, other than welcome, and we're glad you're here, and we invite you to rest and refocus on the Lord tonight, I just have one announcement, and that's that we have mission trips coming up soon with our students. Our sixth graders are going to uh, partner with SOAR, which is an organization through, an after-school organization through Camp War Eagle, in partnership with Camp War Eagle. Um, We're just going to do a day camp with them, and we're taking our high school students to Tacoma, Washington, Portland, Oregon, uh, Los Angeles, California, and New York City, New York. And we got some uh, different church partnerships and organizations that we're gonna be serving with and learning alongside in those four places. So our high schoolers are prepping. Most of them were actually in trainings today and meetings today, our last ones before we leave in a couple weeks. And they're still raising some funds to be able to go on these trips. So if anyone in here is feeling a tug from the Lord to be generous in this way, um, please go follow the uh, link to our, to our info page and, and go give to one of our student trips. Uh, you can just click the general give to the trip, um, and that would help some of our kids who are raising funds to go on these trips if you would like to help. Hey, um, Mosaic is a place, like I said a second ago, to rest and to refocus on King Jesus. We want him to be the reason we come. We want him to be the object of our affections as we gather. So one way that we do that together is every month having a prayer pause at the beginning of our month, um, rather than just give a bunch of announcements take some space and some time to be led in prayer together as a body. So I'm gonna invite our prayer team leader, Tom Toomer, up here to lead us through our prayer pause for this month. Thanks, Scott. Well, good evening. Anybody need to take a deep breath tonight? Seems like today has been a full day for me. And so as we always do, uh, I invite us to just take a few deep breaths. And as you breathe in, perhaps tell God how thankful you are that he loves you. And now thank him that he's here with us tonight. And that he wants to speak to you. Well, as always, in the middle of our prayer pause is really the the opportunity for us to reflect and refocus on God. And the beauty of each month, we get to look at one aspect of God. And so Colin's going to be teaching out of Daniel 6 tonight. And as I've been looking at Daniel 6, there. Uh, I see him as our God who rescues and delivers. And the passages, there's four passages uh, that first the king said as he hears that Daniel needs to be thrown into the lion's den, 
Uh, it says the king set his mind on rescuing Daniel and made every effort until sundown to deliver him. So the king says, man, I'm going to get this thing done, right? But then it doesn't work. He can't do anything. And so they throw Daniel into the lion's den. And the next morning he comes and he says, uh, excuse me, as he's, as he's throwing him in, he says, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. And then the next morning he comes and he says, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you? And Daniel's response, um, he, uh, excuse me, Daniel says, yes, he has. And then later the king is praising God and he says, for he is the living God. He rescues and delivers for he has rescued Daniel. And as I was thinking about this this week, I was thinking that we have a God who rescues and delivers. He is our God, and he is our king. And I was thinking, Colossians 1, 13 and 14, uh, I was talking with Hannah a while ago, and she says, we've got to understand that his, his first rescue is what's on this slide. He says, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness. And he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloveds, of the son he loves. We have redemption in him, the forgiveness of sins. And so I'd like us to just take a moment. If you've known the rescue of God through Christ, would you take a moment to just thank him? Take a deep breath and think of what that means that he has rescued you that you have redemption and forgiveness through Christ. And that's our ultimate rescue. And yet every God continues to rescue us today. And I, think, I was thinking about how have I seen God rescue and deliver me even in this life? And I was thinking of sin patterns and struggles that God is, has or is continuing to rescue me from. Uh, I was thinking of wrong views I have of God. I remember years ago I made the comment, I, I had blown it in some way, and I said, God just slapped me up alongside the head. And later I was thinking about that and I thought, well, did I land halfway across the universe? Because if God slapped me up alongside the head, that's where I would have landed. And I thought, that's not who God is. God doesn't do that. In fact, I think he goes like this. He taps us on the shoulder and he says, hey, Tom, that's a wrong view that you have of me. And I want to show you who I am. So I'd like you to just take a minute. There's some guides up on the, on the screen, but how have you seen God deliver you and rescue you? And again, give him thanks for what he's done.
But if you're like most of us, there are still things you need to see God rescue and deliver you from, huh? And so I'd like us to take just a minute to think, what might you still need to see God rescue and deliver you from? And I'd like you to just bring that to him and say, God, I need you to rescue and deliver me from this. So take a moment to do that. And if I could invite us for the next seven days to daily bring that before God and say, God, would you rescue me? Would you deliver me? And is there anything that I need to do to cooperate with you so that that might happen? Well, if you've got the prayer pause that was handed out, um, one of the things I'm learning again and again is the value of declaring truth. We have, declared true, we have declared lies to ourselves over and over again about who we are and who God is. And I think we need to declare truth. So we're going to declare the truth tonight. And so if you'd, if you'd stand and say this with me, please. Most High God, thank you that you love to rescue and deliver your children. Thank you for how you have done this through Jesus' life, his sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection and ascension. Your ultimate rescue and deliverance has been accomplished. We don't need to say Selah. Thank you too for how you also rescue and deliver in various ways and in various situations even now. And thank you that today I can ask you for your rescue and deliverance in places I currently need it. I declare today that you are able to rescue and deliver, that you are good and at work for good in my life. Thank you. Let's sing about his goodness tonight. darkest night 
Thank you for your goodness, and we sing about it tonight. I pray, continue to pray from Tom's time that you would lead us to see how you've rescued us and how you've been faithful, how you've been good. Help us recall, Lord, help us remember. We wanna see you and remember you for who you are and what you've done. Help us see you're so good and we love you. All right, will you guys join me in reading our offering prayer tonight? Oh, Father, giver of all, every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask you to accept these gifts and use them to your glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. As you multiplied the offering of fish and loaves, multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. We give freely and not under compulsion, for all we have is yours, Lord. Nothing we could give could match your great gift to us, your son and your spirit.
faithful God you are good and we look to you only not things of this world or things in our life or idols or other gods we look to you we rely on you we abide in you amen I'm gonna invite my friends Corey and CJ Campbell up here to read our scripture for the night thanks Campbell's Hi, Mosaic. We're the Campbells. I'm Corey, and this is my wife, CJ. Uh, we have three children, Gabriel, Jackson, and Micaiah. Um, we served and worshiped here at Mosaic for a little over 13 years, uh, and we currently serve in the infant ministry. Uh, it is our blessing to uh, read the scripture over you tonight. Hear now the word of the Lord from Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it into writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days... Anyone who prays to any god or human except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty. 
or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried into the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, family. I'm Colin. Hey, I have a confession. For about two weeks now, I have been searching endlessly and tirelessly to try to find a lion to put over here in the baptismal. Like, wouldn't that be the most epic church service you've ever been a part of? My father uh, also works here, and, and he taught one time, and he wanted to bring a coffin out, and it was, like, legendary that he wanted to, like, on Resurrection Sunday, teach from a coffin. And I just thought, man, it'd be so fun to have a lion right next door, right over there to teach with. But we, we couldn't find one. And with that, we'll go. Daniel chapter 6. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead, open up, or, or even in your notebooks, and let's just get right into the goodness of this story. First, we see that uh, in Daniel 5, that very night, Belshazzar, if you missed it last week, the guy leading worship, Scott, taught on how God humbles the proud and exalts the humble. And we found out Belshazzar chose to be a little bit more proud. And he was humbled. So that very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Babylonians, was slain. And I always say Darius. I asked Nick the other day, is it Darius? Is it Darius? And he's like, it's Aramaic. I don't know. I've learned Hebrew. Uh, so whichever you feel more comfortable with, Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age 62. And it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps, that is, governors, that would rule throughout the kingdom and with three administrators over them, one of which was Daniel. Now, a little bit of context here. Um, if you look throughout ancient Near East history, this Darius the Mede character is mentioned in only one place, and it's scripture. Which would cause some historians, as well as even those who have uh, uh, maybe something out for the scriptures, they would approach this text and say, ha ha, see, it's, it's historically inaccurate. Because there is a Darius who will come later, but that's after this, this Persian king named Cyrus. And so things start to get kind of messy here when you start to try to look at the history and go, wait, 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 is, can we trust the book of Daniel then? Like if this Darius the Mede character, we don't have a historical account of him existing, what do we do with that? Well, we actually have a place where uh, we like to handle things like that. It's called footnotes. And so if you want want to take out your phone and figure out a little more, there's actually some really good answers for where we find that. Why is that not there historically, but yet it's here in the scripture? And uh, Nick and I will get together later this week, and we're just going to bat around who is this Darius the Mede. So if you want to check it out there, 
uh, go for it. But, but for tonight, just to kind of whet your appetite, what I think we need to understand first and foremost is that Daniel is ultimately not a story about Darius. Um, the Bible is also not a history book. Now, there's history in the scriptures. There's science in the scriptures. There's anthropology in the scriptures. There's psychology in the scriptures. But question, if, if I go to, let's say, Genesis 3, and I try to do a deep dive and learn, um, I don't know, sociology, am I going to get a PhD level degree in that? No. Because the scriptures primarily, they're not focused in on, there's history, there's science for sure, all that's there. But the primary role of the scriptures is that it's telling one unified story, all 66 books pointing to one reality. That we have a God who's sovereign and he rules. And we have a God who desires to be known. He reveals himself to us in and through the scriptures. So when we approach uh, the book of Daniel and we're trying to fall in some historical timeline Daniel's not worried about that. First, it's a very mysterious book, if you haven't recognized yet. See, the, the first chapter is written in Hebrew, but then the chapters that follow are all written in Aramaic, which tells us something very fascinating, that in this book, there's actually portions of it that are written to a Hebrew audience, and there's portions of it that are written to a Gentile audience. And here they are. If you look, uh, it forms this chiasm, this structure that, that, again, the narrative of Daniel is trying to piece together for us. Begins first with the prophecy of the, the four different metals representing these different kingdoms from Babylon to Persia uh, to the Medes all the way to Greece and, and then Rome. And then if you follow, Daniel then goes into where we were with the persecution of Daniel chapter 3. Funny enough, chapter 6 and chapter 3 almost mirror each other exactly. First, we had the Babylonians who come and say, you're going to bow down to this statue, this idol, and the Babylonians kind of had a thing for fire. <laughs> so they persecute God's people and say, hop into the flames, but there's another one there with them, and they're delivered. And then it comes into chapter 5, God reveals himself to that, that Gentile king, and then he reveals himself to another Gentile king, and then this chiastic structure is pointing to one thing and one thing in particular, that the narrative of Daniel is pointing to a God who has the right to rule and who has a desire to make himself known to every nation. It's one unified story about what God is up to in our lives. And with that, let's continue. Um, the, the way of an exile, all throughout the book of Daniel, it leaves us with this question. How am I to live in a place that is not my home? And so for Daniel in particular, I mean, grew up in Jerusalem, would have been born at the time of the exile, taken from his home into a foreign land. And there's kind of two options for Daniel in this place, isn't there? On the one hand is compromise, to just become of Babylon, to become of Persia, to get so comfortable in that society and in that place that he would begin to lose his identity as an Israelite, as one chosen by God. Looks a little bit more like Babylon than a follower of Yahweh. Compromise. On the other side, it would be against the culture. It would be to come up against Babylon and to overthrow. It would be revolution. Let's take arms and let's take this place over. They came and took our homes. Let's take theirs and get things back on track. Two temptations that, that the exile might fall into. And I wonder, 
In our culture, do you find yourself in one of these circles? Do you find yourself as a follower of Jesus sometimes just getting far more comfortable with life here in Northwest Arkansas and the kingdoms of this world than seeking the higher kingdom? Or we're so against the culture around us and we're out to, to almost go to battle with everybody. And again, we look a little more beastly like Nebuchadnezzar than we do like our King Jesus. But what we find is actually that Daniel was given a template. He was actually given instruction on how he was to live in exile. It's found in Jeremiah chapter 29, if you'll look with me. See, Jeremiah, this prophet, is actually back in Babylon writing during the the exile that's already taken place. So he writes this letter, and most of you actually, if you're a student of the scriptures, you know this text very well. Because it says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to make you prosper. Little do we know that is actually written to people who are living and suffering in exile away from their home. That kind of changes the perspective on it, though, doesn't it? But look what Jeremiah writes. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile. Notice this exile is still a part of God's sovereign rule and plan. He's not distant. This didn't surprise him. Exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Notice what he says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Verse seven, seek the peace and prosperity of the what? City. To which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. See, Daniel and his friends have actually been given instruction. Instruction from God through the prophet. This is how you are to live in exile. You are to seek peace. That term is shalom. Which is not just kind of like, let's get together and not argue. It is complete restoration and making whole of God's good world. In exile, you are to go in Babylon and you are to be a peacemaker to bring about God's wholeness and restoration. And while you're doing that, you are to do it from a place of dependence on me, regularly spending time, not just praying for your own needs, but again, for the blessing of the city around you, interceding for those who on behalf are your oppressors, those who've carried you out of your home. And lastly, prosperity, which funny enough, um, the term for peace and prosperity is the same term in Hebrew. It's shalom. You are to seek and make peace, to make whole the world around you so that it could be made whole. And when we hear prosperity, I think we got to do a little bit of work here because there is a thing, there's a false teaching in our culture called a prosperity gospel, right? Which is that God will make you healthy and wealthy if you'll just trust him and follow him. Um, Might I remind you, this is written to a people who are carried into exile away from the wealth and, and the comfort and the health of their hometown. But it's actually gonna be in and through trial, in and through exile, that they're gonna bring about shalom, prosperity. And so I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to make you shalom, to be made whole. 
And so we see as we approach Daniel 6, I mean, when you see what Jeremiah wrote, it is all over Daniel chapter 6. Notice, first, he's been placed in a position of peace. That he's been given this role in, in the foreign country to be a political leader as an exile. That's crazy. And again, he has an opportunity here. He could compromise and just get real comfy up in that palace, couldn't he? But even as we saw all the way back in Daniel chapter one, from day one in exile, he's saying, nope, I don't want the king's wine. I don't need the king's food. I'm gonna put my dependence on the Lord and serve and come up under him faithfully, but I will not pledge allegiance to anyone but my God. A position of peace, and he does it with excellence and integrity. Next, he sees this pattern, this daily pattern all the way across Daniel, we've seen him have, of, of prayer, of consistent time with God. And lastly, that he prospers, but he prospers. He has wholeness and completeness through trial. It's gonna be in a lion's den walking with God. And that's where we're going tonight. So first, a, a position of peace. Daniel chapter six, if you would read with me. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him. Robert Cupp said recently, we were studying Daniel together, he said, this is the first honest politician we got. No corruption in him because he's trustworthy and not corrupt or negligent. A couple of things here. First, remember the context in which Daniel has placed himself. He has been taken from his home, been given a new name and identity to the pagan gods of Babylon, and been placed, because of his excellence, has been placed to serve faithfully at the inner circle of a foreign king who tore him from his home and destroyed the temple within which he worshiped. And then that king died. And Daniel was then brought up to serve that king's corrupt son. So we have an oppressive, corrupt leader that Daniel has now been tasked to, hey, you're gonna come up and interpret this guy's dream. And then that king dies and is killed. And now we have a whole new foreign government that's come in with Persia. And Daniel again has been placed in a, an oppressive, corrupt political system. And he has been set in that system to tear it down, to slit the king's throat when he's not looking, to bring shalom, to bless. See, I, I don't think in, in an American democracy, like I don't have a place to, to put that, where I have a foreign political leader who destroys everything I know and love, gives me a new name and tells me you're gonna serve in my court. And for me to do that and say, I'm gonna be allegiant to God, and I'm gonna serve you out of a way to bless because that's what my God's told me to do. We could use some of that, couldn't we? Some followers of Jesus who can come up under whatever authority because we know who the ultimate authority is and to bring blessing and shalom. Also note, hey, do we have any 80-year-olds in the room? Where are my 80-year-olds at? I know you're here, no shame. Come on, where's my 80s at? Woo, right there. My friend Larry just went, you're not 80, but you just, he just went skiing in Colorado. Are you 80? You're 80? And you just got back from skiing in Colorado? <sighs> Y'all need to hang out with Larry Shoe more. 
Hey, Daniel's about 80 years old at this time. Now, that changes things for me because I'm picturing like 32, kind of like whippersnapper, like, yeah, looking good. Throw me in the lion's den. I'll wrestle. Um, I haven't been 80 yet, but I'm assuming life gets a little bit more hard when you get older. If I've learned anything from my older saints, you move a little bit slower. Your body starts doing weird things. You're not as sharp. And it's in that that this king comes and this 80-year-old Daniel, he says, wow, you. I want you on the inner circle over these satraps. See, Daniel understands he has done such an incredible job that in his position, where God has placed him, he does it with excellence and integrity. So an immediate application out of the text tonight. Where has God positioned you? Now, exiled, foreigner, three different governments, 80 years old, and he doesn't make any excuses. Where has God positioned you in your relationships? Maybe it's at home with little ones, or maybe it's out in the workplace or somewhere in between. But God has placed you in a specific position for a specific role, and it's to bring about blessing to those around you. Not to be a life taker, the giver of it. And I wonder how much more would our cities in Northwest Arkansas be blessed if we had some followers of Jesus who gathered together on Saturday nights at Mosaic and then chose to go out into the world and with excellence and integrity sought the blessing and the prosperity of the city around us. But the satraps uh, are not fans. (laughs) They want this 80-year-old out the way, and so they devise a plan. Hey, we can't come after his character, so we'll come after his God. And they go to Darius, and they say, hey, you need to have allegiance from this whole, I mean, we just had Babylon and Persia, and we're mixing now. You should have everybody pray to you for the next 30 days. Very similar to Nebuchadnezzar, isn't it? But let's see what Daniel does. First, a position for peace. Next, look at his pattern. The source of Daniel's success. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Notice this is nothing new for Daniel. And then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. And then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of those exiles from Judah, he pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree that you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. See, they they can't come at his character and they can't come at his integrity, so they're just gonna come at him with persecution of his faith, his beliefs. Brother Lawrence said, there is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful than a continual conversation with God. How's your prayer life? Are you in regular, ongoing union with God throughout your day? See, this is something Daniel, he's built this regularly into his pattern. Notice that Three times a day, this is something he does. And I love it too, that he, he goes to his home. Not to, to put it on display for everyone to see how righteous or great he is, but to go and spend intimate time with his God. And I guarantee you, Daniel was not just praying for himself in that place because Jeremiah told him, 
pray also for the city. I think Daniel's pulling away and he's, he's praying for Darius. And he's praying for these satraps, these enemies who are out to kill him. And I wonder, what, what does your prayer life look like right now? Is it more duty, like I'm just kind of getting through the day and occasionally throwing up a Hail Mary? Or is it delight? Do you have space where you can have ongoing, intimate, abiding conversation with the triune God of light and love? And I wonder what our cities would look like if some followers of Jesus on Saturday nights began to schedule in patterns of prayer throughout their day. Times where they're just, I love this definition, times of interactive conversation with God about what we're doing together. Absolutely asking for him to come and to help us in our times of need, but also praying for those around us, for the situations, for the relationships. And how about we stop asking for a little bit, and what if we just enjoyed being in his presence? So I've been trying this on for a little while and, and, and actually calendaring in times to spend with God. And this is helpful for me. If it's helpful for you, go for it. You can take it and run with it. Use whatever words you like. But for me, we started the mornings, and when I say we, I mean me and the triune God. We've started our mornings fixing a cup of coffee just to contemplate, to just sit with hands open, a scripture in mind, and just say, good morning, Lord. It is so good to be with you again. And Maybe some deep breaths, and, and maybe nothing's there, but I'm just trying to begin that posture of, Lord, I want to walk through this day with you. And then throughout the day, as we're going about it together, me and the triune God, scheduling in a little moment to, to cooperate, to say, Lord, how are you at work in and around me? How can, how can I join you in that situation, in that conversation? Lord, what, what are you doing in this meeting right now with this saint? Do you want me to be quiet? Do you need a scripture you want said? Is there something you want me to say? And just beginning to cooperate with what God's kingdom is up to around me. And then this one, ending the day with a posture of confession. A reflection back. Being able to say, Lord, where today, as I hit my head on this pillow, where have I strayed away from you? What do you want me to do differently tomorrow? And then ending my day through this, this pattern of just enjoying time with God. And I wonder what our lives and cities would look like if some followers of Jesus in Northwest Arkansas three times a day spent time abiding with God. Or maybe, maybe that's too contemplative for you. That's not your cup of tea and you're, you're ready to get some stuff done with God like Daniel did. And maybe it's not as much contemplation as much as it is intercession. And you need to gather your small group together and every single week begin to pray for the needs of our city and world. Mickey Rapier and I were talking the other day and, and just in light of Daniel's persecution, he shared this resource known as the Open Door. And what Open Door has done is they've identified some of the top 50 nations that are under Christian persecution. That these are where there is an active church, followers of Jesus. These are some of the most persecuted saints right now in our world. From high levels to extreme levels where a lion's den kind of sounds like a fun night with a, a cute little animal compared to what some of these people are walking through. 
And uh, I wonder, here's a link, if, if you feel led to, to take a picture and go to it at the World Watch list. But I wonder what our lives and cities would look like. I wonder what our world would look like if there was a group of followers of Jesus who weekly gathered in homes and small groups and began to pray for our brothers and sisters who are walking through, if not what Daniel walked through, something far worse, and to watch God's kingdom prosper in those places. Back to the story. And so in Daniel, we, we, every chapter can be broken down into this, this chiastic structure, which is a literary device to understand what's happening. So we have Daniel is distinguished by this foreign ruler. The sign of a decree, no other gods to pray to but Darius. Daniel's colleagues, co-workers, try to plot his death. I don't know if you've had that recently happen in the office. <laughs> Darius hopes for Daniel's deliverance. Notice, Darius is for Daniel. He sees the excellence and integrity of this man. And he comes to that lion's pit and he says, has your God been able to rescue and to save? And and here is where I find the crux of what Daniel 6 is pointing us to. Is this God, this God of Daniel, is he able to rescue and is he able to save? And Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions and they have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. And nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted his God. Now, in Daniel chapter 3, when Nebuchadnezzar was throwing Daniel's friends into that fiery pit, they said, we will not bow to your idol, for our God is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. And it is not in this text, but I can't help but think that Daniel has that same philosophy. My God is able to rescue me from this trial. But even if he doesn't, I will still pray and remain faithful to him. See, for that way of the exile, if we go the posture of compromise, it's real easy. Yeah, stop praying to your God for 30 days, Daniel. Just get comfortable. Don't even pray to Darius. Just kind of act like it. No. I will not bow down to any other God. I will only pray to mine. And notice here that the prospering, the blessing, the shalom, the peace, it's not through Daniel getting incredible financial wealth, is it? It's not through Daniel being able to even not go into the lion's den. No, prospering takes place through the trial. It's through the suffering. That the prosperity, the well-being that Daniel is seeking is something so much greater than, than King Darius can ever offer. See, because Daniel understands that his God offers something so much more eternal, so much more beautiful and whole, and it's union with him for eternity. And so as a a faithful foreigner who will not bow down to, 
to Darius or a foreign god. And he's been placed in this position to bring about peace. And regularly, he, he goes off into a quiet place to pray and spend time with God. And he's betrayed and he suffers because these people, they don't, they don't like what this Daniel's up to in the world. And he ends up in a lion's den. And remember, what was it that they placed over that den? A stone. And if you know your Bible, does that pattern not sound very familiar? Because on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, not Darius, but some women, followers of Jesus, took spices they had prepared, and they went not to a lion's den, but a tomb. (laughs) And they found that the stone had been rolled away. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord. Jesus and an angel comes and says, he is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was with you in Galilee. That the son of man, that's one of Daniel's favorite terms about the Messiah. The son of man must be delivered to the hand of sinners and crucified. But on the third day would be raised again. Is our God able to rescue and save? Yes, absolutely. Because for sure out in ancient Persia, when we have this faithful foreigner who's had the the stone rolled away out of dependence on God, but it points to a greater foreigner, God himself who steps into enemy territory and now holds the keys to death and the grave. And we have a God who actually through suffering, through trials, brings about the eternal prosperity, a life that never fades. Because what is death to him who has the keys? What is persecution at my workplace when I get made fun of for my beliefs? What is it when when I don't find the comfort in this life that I feel like I deserve or when the cancer won't go away or when I just continue to feel in the darkness and isolated and alone, I have a God who goes into that pit with me and he pulls me out of it into new life. Amen? Isn't that a God who can save and is worthy of our worship? And Peter, I think reflecting in this Daniel story, says, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time, he'll lift you up in honor. And he'll give, you all, give all your worries, your cares to God because he cares about you. Notice this, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil, prowls around like a what? looking for someone to devour, but friend, for those who have been cleansed and washed by the blood of Jesus and invited into new life, the lion can't touch you. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, you will have trials and troubles in this life. But after, he'll restore He'll support, he'll strengthen you, and he'll place you on a firm foundation, his shalom. And I don't know what trials, what suffering you're walking through right now. But what I do know is that God is with you in that place. 
And even in and through that, he has blessing and peace and prosperity, not just for you, but for those around you. And so Daniel chapter six. His God is able to rescue him and Darius witnesses it. He comes to that pit and sees Daniel and pulls him out. And uh, the colleagues, um, doesn't end too well for them, they face their death. They actually meet their end, similar to how our king and savior, his enemies, will meet their end. And Darius has a new decree. It goes out to every nation concerning the God of Daniel. And Daniel is then distinguished by a foreign ruler. And the king Darius wrote to all nations and peoples, every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and have reverence for the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever and his kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. For he rescues and saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. And he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lion. Again, a God who reveals himself and has a heart absolutely for his people like Daniel, but also for the ends of the earth and invites us to be participants with it. And so to close, we have a God who rescues and saves. He rescues and saves. And the small temporary trials, he's with us. And actually in and through those, he's using it to bring about his blessing. We have a God who put himself on a cross to save. For God so loved the world that he died to save sinners like us. And one day we'll return to bring about the restoration and that perfect shalom and prosperity that every human heart longs for. Until then, we're gonna bless others. We've been given a purpose and a position in this life to bring about blessing, not curse, but blessing and peace. And we're gonna pattern our lives just like our master and friend Jesus did where he would go off to a desolate place to pray. We're gonna enjoy conversation with God. And when we go through the trial, we'll trust knowing that even in and through this, we ain't gonna bow down to another God because ours still is working good even in this moment. And so what I invite you to do now is just to close your eyes. And as Tom said so well earlier, where is it that you need God's rescuing? cares for you would you bring that to him now
and we remember and acknowledge you as the most high. Pray that that would speak over whatever rescuing needs to happen in our heart. May we hold with gratitude and hope in knowing that you have already given us such sweet rescue in Jesus. And may we be quick to remember that though our hearts wander and though our lives may fall off kilter, we can come to you as the great rescuer. And we long for the day that perfect ultimate rescue comes, not just for us, but for our world. We anxiously wait for that day. Till then, help us to be patient and faithful in what is right now. Be with us, may your spirit be strong in us. May your kingdom come and will be done in and amongst us this week. We invite it, and we believe it, we ask it in your name. Mosaic, thank you so much for worshiping with us tonight. We are so thankful for a night of celebration. I hope this blessed you and got you excited for the week. Hey, on your way out, um, if you guys have some prayer requests, obviously you can meet up with a prayer team member, but we also have some prayer cards in the back. And if you didn't grab one of the uh, prayer things for the month, you guys can grab that as well. Also, if you're new, please, we'd love to meet you. Go out to that center booth in the front and we can make sure to get to know you. Um, That's all we got. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.